today's episode is sponsored by Eat Fish and Die, a short story by S. Ron Mars. Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Inspiring authors and readers since 2006. Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, episode 269. Nick Cole, Soda Pop Soldier. Thank you for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. Very excited to have on the line a couple of very cool guys and great authors. Uh, Michael Bunker. Hi, glad to be here. And uh, and Nick Cole. Hi, it's me, Nick Cole. I once auditioned <laughs> for the voice of Deckard Kane in Diablo, so I talk like this a lot. No, that's, that's from my old actor life. That's a voice I did once for a video game and didn't get hired. This is how I sound, and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> It's <laughs> awesome. Let's uh, we'll go around a little bit and just mention some of the books we've written and what we're working on now. I recently published fan fiction in Hugh Howey's Sand Universe. Uh, that novelette is called Scavenger. I'm currently working on the next piece to that. Uh, if I were doing... Well, my plan was to do serialized fiction, but I'm not writing nearly fast enough for that to uh, <laughs> be working at the moment. But uh, let's see, I've got another... 7k to that so about 14,000 words into that project michael bunker has also written some hugh howey fan fiction uh dunes over danvar is his fanfic in the sand universe and he's also got silo archipelago in the wool universe go ahead michael say some of the other titles that you've written and, and what you're working on now if your restraining much. order allows you to talk about hugh howey <laughs> Well, he gave me a special dispensation this one time. Uh, I've written a uh, novel most recently that's come out called The Pennsylvania Omnibus, which was a collected uh, serial that we've collected into a single novel. And speaking of fanfic, we have 26 authors now writing fanfiction in the Pennsylvania world. Prior to that, I wrote a epic uh, novel, which is uh, called Wick, W-I-C-K, and that was actually a prequel to a novel that I wrote two years before that which is called The Last Pilgrims, but I've got a lot of stuff out there, but those are the most recent. And also recently, the number one author on science fiction and fantasy on Amazon. Is that right, Michael? That's right. Pennsylvania uh, hit number 19 on all of Amazon, but uh, my personal uh, author ranking was number one in all of sci-fi on July 7th. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, Nick, go ahead. I, I mainly write all of Stephen King's stuff. A lot of people don't know that. I pretty much <laughs> ghost wrote all his great stuff. Everything you liked, I wrote that. And um, no, I'm just joking. Uh, in 2011, I, I had a New York agent and I had a little, I was an actor and I had a little Hollywood novel that no one wanted to buy. And then sort of this whole Amazon thing exploded. And, I, and I'd written this um, sort of the old man in the sea meets uh, the post-apocalypse meets fallout. And I wrote this little book called The Old Man in the Wasteland. And uh, it's about a scavenger 40 years after the nuclear uh, war that takes place. And he's only had one book to read, and that's Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea. And my agent uh, didn't like it. He said it was too much like The Road, which I thought was a big success. And I think he just hates Cormac McCarthy because McCarthy doesn't use punctuation. And um, so I put it up and it, it just exploded on Amazon and uh, a big publisher, HarperCollins, came in and offered me um, some money to write some sequels. So 
I had fun doing that, and that was compiled in the Wasteland Saga. And the next book in my contract, I just kind of wanted to write something really fun that I'm interested in and passionate about, and I drew on my military experience, and I, I wrote a book called Soda Pop Soldier, which is is basically Call of Duty meets uh, Ready Player One. And it's awesome, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know what? I, can, <laughs> I, I, it's, I give all the credit, all the honor and glory to God because uh, that he has mercy on uh, an untalented person like me and lets me <laughs> write well. I'm just grateful. But I know Michael's the same way, and I've read Michael's stuff, and it's absolutely – it's deep and wonderful on a level that I think – Michael writes the kind of books that people should stop and enjoy, I would say. Yeah, well, that would be you. my way. Yeah, my pleasure. And Soda Pop Soldier I read as well. Very impressed. Very much enjoyed that. Uh, that that would be the book that people should read because it's better than playing video games, right? Yeah, exactly. Everybody should put down all their video games and they should all buy my book. Um, pretty much, I would accept one-tenth of the world's population. No, you know, I mean, we're all playing video games now to, to some. And I think, you know, maybe people don't really know about Michael's uh, lifestyle um, I, you know, I'll let him explain it, but they might kind of equate him as an Amish person or what he calls a plain person. And, you know, he, he lives off the grid and is off the power, but Michael plays, you know, video games on Xbox live. Everybody does. My mother plays word with friends. My wife plays this dressing game. And I remember back in the eighties and I think we kind of all grew up then, you know, like only little boys played video games and, you know, you, you had a quarter for the Pac-Man machine, but it is amazing now to some lesser or greater extent, everybody from every cross section of life is playing games. And I just think it's kind of the new form of relaxation and it's a, it's a new thing. And, and not a lot of people are writing novels about it or literature about it. And, um, I'm hoping this is kind of a, the start of a movement. I call the movement game noir, meaning it's a mystery set within a game world. I, I used the term gamer noir before I even ever heard you say that because I thought it was uh, perfect after I read your book. Um, and, and by the way, uh, Nick is guilty of getting me playing Xbox <laughs> because <laughs> I, we bought the Xbox after Nick and I started writing a, a story called Digger that um, we want to develop someday into a video game. And so... In order to learn about how video game stories progress and all that, I got an Xbox, and so Nick got me involved. But uh, Soda Pop Soldier, to me, is uh, it, it's it really is the next thing. It's it's where people are and where they're where they're experiencing stories. So I think it was perfect. Awesome! Wow. So you guys are making a video game. How's that going to work? Well, uh, <laughs> eventually, we're actually writing a book, and uh, that book is actually part of a much larger world. And uh, our goal is for that uh, story, that world, to be uh, very uh, cinematic, very uh, uh, interactive. And so video games and all of those things would fit in perfectly with it. And we wanted to have that world in mind when we were writing the stories. And so uh, that's uh, still to come, but it's something we're working on. Very cool. So you guys are working on a novel-length story? We are. We have um, a, a story called Digger, which is our first in this world that we're developing. And um, we've got uh, probably, I don't know, 25, 30,000 words into it. And uh, it's an awesome story. People are going to absolutely love it. But it is a tiny sliver of a very big world that we're working on that's going to be exciting. Great. Yeah, I, th I think the, um, the Digger project is, I mean, I, I don't know, like it's it's something that's exploding this week, and I don't know how much we can talk about it. So 
Michael is the executive producer of this project, so I'm going to stop there, and he can say whatever he wants and get in trouble with the other partners. But, you know, just to to speak to writing and to speak to video games and story, there are some great stories in video games. If you ever play, you know, there there was an old game, Max Payne 1 and 2, and it was a noir Mm -hmm. drama, you know, set against sort of Norse mythology and sort of drug-addled New York, and that was great. Red Dead Redemption was great. It was very Clint Eastwood. It's very much like the show uh, right now on... um, AMC, Hell on Wheels. It was very much like that. So, you know, we as writers, I think you you always just want to be telling a great story. But because of the gaming industry right now, there are many, many writing uh, opportunities um, exploding within the gaming world for writers. And as we all write these properties, you know, um, initially when I wrote Old Man in the Wasteland, I had a guy came, come to me um, from Eastern Europe and he said, hey, I want the gaming rights. I want to develop it. And I'm not saying he was slippery or shady, but, you know, initially I was like a little reticent. I'm like, no, I'm not just going to hand over gaming rights to you. Writers kind of have to be savvy about the world of gaming because it's huge. And when you think, OK, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy did $94 million this weekend. When an Avengers movie comes out, it's going to do $120 million dollars. That is nothing compared to what, that's a weekend. That is nothing compared to what a Call of Duty or a Grand Theft Auto launch will do in a, in a day. It'll do close and, to a billion dollars. So this is something we as writers, gaming is something we need to take very, multimedia we have to take very seriously. I, I agree completely. I think it's, uh, it's a new way. It's not a new way. It's an old way, but it's a, it's a way of, uh, for authors to interact with uh, readers as content providers and uh it's something that uh it's we're on the we're on the cutting edge of it so nick soda pop soldier has a definite feel of a seasoned gamer but it's also and you know when you mentioned max Payne, that did remind me there's a very cool uh tool that your character uses where it slows down time which i thought was really cool in reading and fiction just a very very exciting type of interaction between fiction and gaming what kind of things are you telling Michael to pay attention to as he is learning the Xbox uh, to kind of help with what you guys are writing? Um, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I think initially I gave like Michael, you know, I was a little worried about him. I, I mean, I, I don't know Michael's total experience. Uh, I just know that he's sort of, uh, he, Michael would be better about talking about Michael, but I, you know, we, we look at people and I didn't know how you know? I, I think Michael had made the comment to me. He said, "I haven't played video games in a while," and I was like, "Well, then prepare to kind of be shocked because they've gotten fairly graphic." Um, and some of those things that I touched on in Soda Pop Soldier, um, misogyny, dismemberment, uh, nudity—you know, all that kind of stuff—that's um, not made up. I, I've experienced those things in games, and. You know, it's like there was a game that just came out recently called Watch Dogs. And everybody was going to, you know, it was made by Ubisoft. Everybody was really excited about it. And part of a feature of the game is that you can um, hack people's personal security cameras and you can kind of voyeur their life and, and, you know, watch girls undress and things like that. And so I kind of wrote this thing and I said, you know, like, is is nobody upset about this right now? Because (laughs) you're all screaming. You're screaming at the NSA for doing this. You know, and right, yet right. you're playing this as a game. And I had the main character, if you guys remember, in the uh, Blood of Torment, 
I had this vampire who, who's kind of, you know, he's not a nice person. And he's talking about all the things that people can get up to. And he basically asked the main character a question that I had encountered from the Christian philosopher, Ravi Zacharias, which is, is anything wrong with anything? You know, why is it that the left or liberals can tell us, well, you can only go this far and, and you can only say these things, but yet they're exercising relative moralism and, and you, you're opening the door for the cannibal to come in and eat you, you know, in, in, in essence saying in some parts of the world, it's okay to have your friends over for dinner in other parts of the world, it's okay to have your friends for dinner. And so that's what I was trying to make in this this comment. I was trying to say, like, at what point do you draw the line, even in the world of video games, with, hey, that's too much? And because video games are sort of worldwide developed, many of them are developed in Sweden, you know, or in Europe, and they have much more excessive, you know, moral excess than we do. Our kids are playing, you know, some of these games, and one of the classic scenarios to really look at is a Call of Duty about two or three ago, and there was a mission called No Russian. And it handed you a machine gun and told you to walk through an airport and machine gun all these these civilians. And it caused a lot of stir and cry, and it was so much that they even offered you uh, a point in the game to skip the mission because there had been so much outcry. I played it. I machine gunned everybody in that airport, and I felt awful. But I wanted to see what the experience was like. (laughs) <laughs> where do we go after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and as we say as we used to say in really bad acting and scene but you know i'm just saying like you know i mean hey sometimes as writers i mean i don't think you need to get snout down in the trough but you know you you know there there are some things going on out there that are pretty right. pretty dark right well and and i think it's uh it's you know our let me stop. I'm just a little shocked over that, but <laughs> going through the airport. But um, oh, is this, <laughs> does this mean we're not working together anymore? <laughs> uh, I think we can probably get through it, but I'm going to need yeah. therapy. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, um, uh, one of the issues when we very first uh, brought the Xbox home and all that was, <laughs> to me, I really wanted to to get into how these stories get told, how these uh, where where you're actually an element of the story and you're changing. And like Nick is saying, there's some very, very dark things that uh, you can get involved in as far as affecting these stories. And yet um, the bigger picture for me was um, trying to get my mind out of this very linear way of storytelling. Now, if you go back to my background, which uh, in literature is Russian literature, if you go back to War and Peace or Dostoevsky or any of these, that's really how those stories were told was very much like a modern video game and that you had these vignettes vignettes and um uh, and sometimes there was uh, uh this whole story would take place in this small little village and you really get into that story and then the next next scene is napoleon coming across the plane you know and so uh, i think that really really helped me put my mind around how these stories get told today because it's really an old style of storytelling i agree 100 percent. and you know russian literature is is some of the finest literature in the world if you've got the mind for it but uh, really, when you look at shows like uh, The Walking Dead or a lot of the great, you know, television that's being done right now, it's it's the cherry orchard in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. That's Chekhov and not from Star Trek. <laughs> so, Nick, tell us about the setting for Soda Pop Soldier. Um, Soda Pop Soldier takes place in the future. Um, 
it has probably happened it, it's happened after some sort of massive meltdown sort of redefined the internet and the internet is now a much more regulated place in fact to look at pornography you have to have a license that gives you a basic psych evaluation test um corporations now use large war world of warcraft style or, uh, excuse me call of duty style modern warfare games to compete against each other for global advertising space and that's where our main character sort of makes his his daily bread uh, he fights for cola corp i had to make up a lot of corporations that bear similar names to corporations that exist today like master visa and uber mart and uh, or, uh uber vodka was one and tarmart was the other and um and they compete online against each other in these huge sort of campaigns so there's maybe a snow campaign or a desert campaign. And the one that I picked was sort of a fictional representation of a, a land war in Asia, um, Southeast Asia, sort of like a Vietnam. And these two companies are fighting Wondersoft, which sort of would be like a Microsoft type company slash meets Apple and um, uh, Colacorp, which seems to be the soda, the soda pop distributor for the world. And they're fighting it out, and Wondersoft is winning uh, constantly. And so our main character, Perfect Question, isn't making his weekly bonus on kill counts. And he has to turn to another alternative source of, of income. So he ends up going into an illegal online tournament, which is basically a gothic, dark fantasy setting, kind of like World of Warcraft meets the seedier parts of Vegas. And then that those two storylines run concurrently. Um, by day, he's fighting as this sort of modern warfare soldier. By night, he's fighting as an enigmatic samurai in this fantasy setting. And at the same time, these two games are starting to get involved in his real life. Um, there are some forces out there that are trying to leverage him to make decisions in these games because these games are very important. And um, it goes where if, if Michael's, you know, Michael's uh, background is. Uh, Russian literature. Mine is actually noir fiction. I am a huge Raymond Chandler fan, and that's where I went with this novel. I, 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 but I needed to evolve the main character from just sort of game geek to hardened street detective in a trench coat, and uh, that was that was really fun because I think by the final notes of the story, that character ends up there. He he ends up being the sort of the last noble person in the world, even though you lose, which is uh, basically straight out of Max Payne. <laughs> right. To take it full circle. Yeah, exactly. So, Michael, I read your review of Soda Pop Soldier. Uh, ours is going to go up on, or mine's going to go up on the Adventures in Sci-Fi site here soon. Uh, but you were commenting about how this book is addicting, that you couldn't put it down. What, what do you think about the the story and all that, that that made it so hard to put down? Well, to me, it was the first one probably since uh, Ready Player One where I'd been immediately transported into this uh, reality that Nick had created. And to see that it was working really on three levels, you had the the, the, the gaming level with uh, Cola Corp, and then you had the dark level that was taking place uh, in the night games, the illegal games he was playing. And all of these, at some point, they're layered on top. And the reality is the third world, where it's really in infiltrating his reality. And to me, it really took my mind into that game, into that reality. It was so real that it was hard for me to put it down. And and like I said, really, 
that hasn't happened to me. I read a lot because I not only get a lot of authors that give me things to read, but I read things I need to be reading. Um, and uh, it's, it's it's probably been a year or two since I read um, Ready Player One, since I've been that really kind of engrossed in a story. So that's uh, saying a lot for that story. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was. I think you were commenting as you were going. I was like, wow, this guy's... And then to top that, Michael's kids read it too. And I was like, are you sure you want to let your kids read this book? But he really seems to be involved in his kids' educations. And I think their their age levels are fairly layered. And I think it was your boy that like beat everybody, right? He read it in like a couple of hours. Right, like four or five hours, I think he read it in. And, uh, yeah. and we talk about him. It's just like with TV or movies or the games. We, I, stop the, I stop a movie. My, my children have never seen a movie or a TV show all the way through. <laughs> because I, I stop it and I talk to them about what's going on, what ideas are being implanted, how these things are used, the reality of it. And we did the same thing with this book. And it was really, really a wonderful experience. And they all really enjoyed it. We do that at my house, but it's because my wife has to IMDb every actor. She's like, I know that person. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. He's this person in this show. But she's like, no, but he was in the other show. And I need to know who he is. And I'm like, why? Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, exactly. We'll be right back after a short sample from our sponsor, Eat Fish and Die by S. Ron Mars. You know what I like about having a plasma rifle shoved in my mouth? I never have to brush afterwards. That's what. So anyway, there I was on a bleak planetoid in the outer rim, handcuffed and on my knees. A pissed-off Casago soldier was making me suck the business end of his gun. The problem is, it's hard to talk when your mouth is full of tungsten alloy. Articulating yourself ain't easy. And muffled words often lead to issues with the alien translator. I wanted to say, would you mind getting that thing out of there? But the words get all screwed up, you see. What I end up saying sounds like, what do you mind getting out of there? If I was lucky, my translator would reply, say what? If I was unlucky, it would spit out something like, woody mind gets thing mated in otter's hair. I was really impressed with how each chapter seemed to improve upon the one before. And there's a there's a climactic moment where all the worlds combine in and each one of them's kind of like a, f- a firework finale that they're hit they're each hitting as hard as as they can. Uh, so I was really impressed with the uh, the pacing for that, Nick. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think uh, you know, I mean we're we're here. I mean, we have this. You know, when you start writing and all those kind of things, you want to tell these really deep and emotional and moving stories. But, you know, at the same time, I think what I bring away from my actor bra- actor background is it is absolutely imperative and crucial that you be entertaining, you know. And so I when I was an actor, I studied at the Groundlings in L.A. So a lot of the people that you see on Saturday Night Live are former Groundlings, Will Ferrell. Lisa Kudrow. Uh, I think Michael Bunker even went to school with one. Um, and That's true. yeah. And you what was her name? Stephanie Weir. Yeah. And she was on mad TV. She was very right. funny. And, and so what you learn, um, in improv is to always advance the scene. You don't just like, if you're going to introduce a gun into a scene, you don't just, now I have this gun and I'm waving it around. No, the guns out, bang, you're dead. It's always more important to advance the scene 
don't, you know, and, and I see a lot of people when they're writing, they're kind of feeling their way around through a scene and they're kind of waiting for the scene to talk to them or whatever. And I found in my own writing style and I just go for it. Well, you know, I always, I always take it to the next level, take it to the worst thing. And, you know, you've all, you, we've all heard that Vonnegut thing, you know, do every rotten thing you can. And then once you've run out of uh, rotten things to do to your characters, the novel's over. So for me, I'm always trying to push it to that next level of immediacy and, and cut out sort of the in-between and the, and the slow parts and, and really get there. But that whole, the scene that you're referencing, and I know what you're talking about because we talked about it earlier, and I don't want to give it away for people, but yes, it was it was amazing how that scene in the airplane came together and fired on so many levels that the next chapter I wrote after that had to be sedate. If you guys remember what that was, it right, had to yeah. be so sedate and calming that I literally had to set it in the middle of the desert, you know, to kind of calm everything down because. I just needed to come down off of that. And for me, my writing process to get those scenes out is just one thing. I, I pray to God before I write and whatever he gives me to write, that's what I write. So I'd like to take credit for all that, but it's all God. It's a gift from God. And and I'm just thankful that it, it was that exciting. Well, you know, right after that, I, I don't want to give away the scene at all, but right ap- after that scene, I, I messaged you and I told you, if this thing doesn't get made into a movie, it's criminal. It's criminal. Yeah, no, that would, would, you know, sometimes I'll think about directors who could do that scene and it's really Michael Bay and James Cameron. That's it. Right. Right. You know, it's it's, that that full tilt. Right. The readers are probably like, you guys are jerks. (laughs) Give us some details, you know, but, uh, you know, that's that you'll have to buy it and read it. (laughs) And you should. And you should, you should, and you should buy Michael's uh, Pennsylvania Omnis, which is a steal and did really well. And I'm actually working on a short story set for his anthology that's coming up, and uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. I did. I saw on Facebook that you have uh, maybe a few more books in the Soda Pop Soldier world to play with, Nick. Is that true? I do. My uh, agent is actually putting on his agent armor and he's going into Manhattan tomorrow. I don't think he likes to go into Manhattan much. Um, he lives out in a, in a borough and he's going to go in and, and slug it out with the dragon that is uh, my publisher. No. Um, so, you know, the publishing process, the big, big five publishing process is very strange. And I've had things ready to go. They're actually dealing on a novel tomorrow that I wrote two years ago that I really want to tell people about, but I can't just yet, but I really, really want to. But I'll just give a hint. This is for everybody who listens to this podcast. You're the only people who know this. I hope this novel sells tomorrow, but it's basically the notebook meets zombies. So it'd be really cool. Um, but, but everybody does that. In fact, I did that with David Pomerico last week and he had the same thing. He just kind of laughed. And then this week, this week, suddenly they want to deal on it. So I guess that's a good tagline. Um, but, uh, um, they, I never really knew of this concept with publishers weekly, but I guess there's a starred review system. I didn't know that. So 
they they did a review on Soda Pop Soldier in Publishers Weekly, and then they gave it a starred review. And I kind of said, well, what's that all about? And everybody at my publishing house was jumping up and down, and they couldn't believe it in my agent. And I said, well, is this really a big deal? And they're like, yeah, this is like a career maker. Like people who get st- – these are big novels. So, you know, I'm sure it's not 100% of the time, but it, it was really neat and really interesting. So the story with Soda Pop Soldier is that I had written it a while ago. And I was at Comic-Con last year with my old editor, Diana Gill, who's since gone on to tour. And she wanted to have drinks at the little bar at Comic-Con. They have these crazy superhero-themed drinks. I don't drink. Uh, My wife drinks for me. And so her and my editor were getting snockered. And my editor was just shooting down pitch after pitch. And, like, I, I was even down to, like, I was making up reinventing Lord of the Rings and trying to sell it to her. I'm like, it's about these two small people. And they've got to throw this thing into a volcano, you know, no, that'll never work. And so I was out of ideas. And, you know, at the end of Comic-Con, you're brain dead. And I literally just looked at my wife and I think she saw the look of helplessness in my eyes. And then she has a really awesome memory in mind because she's uh, incredibly intelligent. And she goes, you know, you wrote that Space Marine story. And I just looked at my editor and I said, well, I got this one last thing. It's called Soda Pop Soldier. And I think she liked the title so much that she didn't even care what came with it. I think she was like, ah, the title is great. And that was how I sold Soda Pop Soldier to them. And it was the last book in my contract. And I I kind of had the feeling that they were maybe even willing to kind of get rid of me. Like, that was it. And then once the publisher's weekly review hit and I got some buzz at Comic-Con, I did some panels. Some other crazy stuff happened at Comic-Con that I really can't talk about yet. but. I'll say the word movies. Um, Yeah. um, They now they want sequels for Soda Pop Soldier. So uh, I have two tentative ones that I pitched them, but I have an arc that can go seven total. And uh, the tentative titles for the next two would be Soda Pop Survivor and Soda Pop Spy. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we'll see. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm ready to read them right now. I, I, if only they were written, <laughs> but you know what? I mean, honestly, I wish like, because the, the big, like now you guys are both people who have, um, when I got into the Amazon thing in 2011, Hugh Howie and I started at the same time. We were both on the list. Like one week he would be at four and I would be at five. And then the next week we would just flip and we kind of knew each other and people would write to Hugh Howie and I, and they'd be like, you two are my favorite writers. You should write something together. And I think he was far too savvy to work with me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think I just got jabbed. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I said, he's far too. Oh, I, I said, yeah, you did. Um, so, the the then I left and I went into the big publisher bubble and I was like, I don't have to do anything anymore. I'm a writer with a big publisher, you know, and and I just kind of went off into writing story and I didn't really pay attention to this whole Kindle Worlds thing. And you guys both have experience. But for me, I wish somehow there were a way to do that with Soda Pop Soldier because people are already saying what Michael just said. You know, they they want more from this world. And I don't see why people can't. Totally. I mean, they've got the basis, the groundwork, you know, gamer fiction should be, I think it would be interesting for anybody to write it. Yeah, I agree. I'd write, I'd write a, uh, a soda pop soldier fanfic right now. I, I, yeah. 
but I just don't know how that I don't know how that works with it being a Harper Collins property. It doesn't, yeah. you know. I don't, I don't know if that, and that's the therein lies the sad thing of big publishers is they miss out on the 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 neatest thing that came out of Amazon is that everybody can play. I hated, you know, I, I started, you know, writing in two thousand five, you know, in that not I'd always been writing my entire life, and it took me twelve years to write my first novel, which no one's read. Um, but the neatest thing about Amazon is that the ivory towers collapsed and the, you know, the gate, the barbarians were allowed through the gate. Everybody can play now. And you don't even have to be like a full on writer. You can just, you know, write some, some cool fanfic and it can be bad or it can be good. Um, and it can even be 50 shades of gray, which I think was twilight fanfic as I understand it. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, there's, there's uh, big, big name people writing fanfic now. And uh, not only uh, Nick Cole, who's doing one for Pennsylvania, but Hugh Howie wrote one in uh, Vonnegut World. And um, there's a lot of that going on. I, I don't uh, feel at all the pressure that some authors talk about to you know not do fanfic because somehow it demeans me or the work or something. I think it's just another uh, outlet to tell good stories in worlds that you like. And then that's just the way I look at it. I would say this with to Harper Collins's credit. They let me write in uh, Michael's universe in Pennsylvania, the story that I'm coming up with now. And by the way, that was due today and it's going to be late. Um, <laughs> mine, mine too. <laughs> yeah. And, and a robot we did, not a robot, but we did a time travel one a couple of that's months right. ago. So Harper Collins has been down with, uh, and they've done some interesting things, you know, that one in hiring David Pomerico, who was, a, a an Amazon, uh, guy. And then also they were the first one to come up with the digital site, just like Amazon. And they've come out with their own little reader and things like that. So, you know, they're, they're one of the few publishers. They're really trying to learn from all the good things of this revolution. And, um, you know, I think fanfic is awesome. I, can't wait to finish this story in Michael's universe. And if I had my druthers after that, I would write Mad Max fanfic and I'd write Thunder the Barbarian fic. <laughs> well, that's good, man. It's good. It's a good attitude to have too. It's not, uh, uh, it's, uh, to me, it's just an exploration of our creative ability and I love it. Yeah. I can't believe it. First off is I can't believe anybody. You guys are the same kind of writers that I am and, and that you probably wrote long before anybody ever read your stuff. Oh, yeah. And you do you remember you'd write something and you'd go to your wife or your girlfriend or your drug dealer and you'd be like, hey, would you read this? <laughs> and uh, they'd be all, shut up, get off my doorstep. And um, and that was my mom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, like, used to, like, no one would read anything you wrote. It was like a hassle. Or you'd give it to some girl at work, you know, and she'd hang on to it for days and then she'd get it back and pages would be missing and you were hoping to date her and the guy that she was making out with when she was supposed to read your thing, you know, he laughed at it. I'm just saying it used to, <laughs> it used to be that you couldn't get anybody to read your stuff. And I now, and you guys have now, um, cause I read scavenger and it was great. It and was great. I, I hope you do more, Tim. Um, you know, that's the neat thing is now people actually want to read your stuff. So I'm still back at that level that I was in the nineties when I was trying to get people to read my stuff it still blows me away that anyone would read my stuff. And I remember the day uh, that I put something up on Amazon and uh, in a couple of hours, it sold like two copies. And oh, yeah. I was like, that is amazing. 
those people are going to feel so ripped off. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. I mean, it wasn't that long ago for me. And, um, you know, and then just this uh, couple of days, this past month, uh, sold, uh, you know, 5,000 copies in a few days. That's and I nice. still... I still feel that way. I feel like, wow, man, these people are actually buy, paying money for it. And so it's a, it, to me, it's a, it's a never ending uh, joy just to experience it every day. You know, when I saw your post, Michael, about the, the amount of copies you sold in that month and, and how I, I can't remember the numbers, but it, I just remember taking from that. It's taken a long time for you to get to that level. And that, that was just encouraging for me to see that it hasn't been overnight for you at all. Um, and so congrats on, you know, persevering and, and, uh, and also Nick, congrats on your starred review for soda pop soldier. That's, that's awesome. So congrats guys. My well, player, you know, you. it wasn't, it wasn't overnight for anybody. I mean, like I remember Hugh like totally struggling right alongside me. And uh, I remember his first cover. It was not very good. And I, and I was thinking like, geez, what, who did this cover with crayons, you know? Um, but <laughs> for now, wolf? yeah, yeah. For wool, if you ever look at the first yep. cover, it's, you know, it's rough and mine was rough and all of ours were rough. And, you know, we used to get awful reviews from people and mean writers, you know, who kind of already had a little following would say mean things to us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not overnight for anybody. It's, it's rinse and repeat. It's, sit down and write more and more and get better and better. And every chance you get to meet a reader and, you know, take it, you know, do everything you can on social media, make friends and build an audience. You have, that's, you know, you build an audience. It just doesn't happen. That's absolutely correct. So Michael, how are you building off of your Pennsylvania? You've got this collected anthology. What else are you working on? Uh, well, we've actually got, we've spilled over. We, we only, uh, uh, allowed 13 uh, of the short stories to go into the first anthology, but there were so many people that were wanting to write in the world that uh, we've got enough for a second anthology now. Uh, I'm also uh, already writing Oklahoma, which is the next uh, book in the series, and um, you know, spending a lot of time uh, talking to authors and readers uh, about the world. And uh, I think I've probably read. 12 or 15 Pennsylvania short stories in the past uh, couple of weeks. I think I read four in three days the other day. And so that's uh, that's really, really exciting. And you know, there's parts of the world that I haven't even really gotten into in my own head yet that uh, these writers are exploring. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, it makes things both easier and a little bit more difficult going into the next book of the series because, uh, I want so much, so many of those elements, uh, but I can't, you know, use them all, of course. Uh, but I will steal. I have no problem with that. But uh, it's 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 been really really exciting, and the book is uh, holding its own. It's um, selling a lot of copies, and and you know, I I'm like uh, Nick, and I may have a little bit of an edge having not having the uh, mainstream baggage. I'd love to see uh, Pennsylvania go into Kindle Worlds. You know, I'd love to see. Uh, some expansion of the uh, story. I've got a uh, translator right now that's translating it uh, into Spanish. And so we're going to be doing that. And I have an agent who is uh, shopping it around for uh, film and foreign rights. So there's a lot of exciting things going on with the Pennsylvania world. What's what's Brother Frankenstein again? I saw a post where you're talking about you're giving it to your agent to talk about. Right. Uh, this is actually a 
<laughs> the story is one that Nick and I came up with just chatting on Facebook. And uh, it, it was it, we just kind of both started adding these elements of what would be this fantastic story. And and uh, and it just developed into one that I needed to write. And so um, I've got uh, probably a third of the first book uh, finished and I kind of ended it at a good place and, and got it polished up by David Gatewood and shipped it off to the agent. And he's going to show that around to see if there's any interest in it while I'm writing uh, so many other things that I'm staying uh, busier than I can imagine. For the translation into Spanish, I don't know if you guys have heard of this website called babblecube.com. Publisher that I'm friends with in New Zealand, uh, Splashdown Books, Grace Bridges is her name. She was telling me about this website where you can submit your works to be translated uh, and then you can have them post. What's your process for getting the, the Spanish translator? I've been uh, looking around and uh, the two things I really wanted was a German translation and a Spanish translation. I've heard really, really good things about both of those markets basically being like 2011 was in the U.S. with ebooks and uh as I was talking with some authors, um, I got an email uh, from Diego de los Santos, who is a pretty big uh, translator. He's done work for uh, Neil Gaiman and a bunch of other people. And uh, he said he really read Pennsylvania and loved it and he would love to translate it. And so uh, we negotiated a, a good price and uh, a good uh, agreement. And he's uh, we're doing this indie style. So he's doing the translation and then I'm going to put it up and uh, we're going to... Uh, we have a deal as far as a, a royalty splits, and uh, so we're doing it full indie style. I'm still looking for a German translator right now, but um, I did uh, pitch it to one who was really, really busy, and he might get to it at some point. But in the meantime, um, uh, this agent that I'm talking to is 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 actually uh, shopping the book overseas too. So we'll see how all of that goes. I was a German linguist in the army, but I was not very good. <laughs> I can well, only there goes order, that option. I can only order beer and french fries. So if you would like your novel to be translated into basically restaurant German, I'm not your man. Well, I needed to mention that uh, translating anything into restaurant is right up your alley after reading The Soda Pop Soldier because the food descriptions mm-hmm. were over the top. I, I was so hungry after every scene <laughs> and the descriptions of the french fries with the garlic and all of that. It was just uh, my daughter... Uh, who is the, my, the most avid reader in my home, uh, she was reading Soda Pop Soldier, and she came in and she goes, wow, the way he describes food, he should be writing menus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and where and where in Central Texas do you get a uh, Kobe beef burger with a, a port re- reduction sauce and duck fat fries? <laughs> you don't. That would, that would be the conundrum. Um, no, I'm, I'm a big foodie, you know, but I live in Los Angeles, and my dad was an airline pilot. My mom was a stewardess. So, you know, I traveled all around the world and my dad liked to live well. So we got to eat in some nice restaurants and I, I became kind of a bit of a cook too. You know, when I was poor, I had to cook for myself a lot. Hey, I'm still poor. Um, <laughs> and I married my wife and my wife is an opera singer. So before you think a giant fat person, geez, you guys have all seen the pictures on right. Comic-Con. She's very tiny, very beautiful. But to slow her down, because she was kind of like a whirlwind of, you know, now I'm going to New York and now I'm going to Europe, I got her into food. And so now that's kind of been able, a restraining influence. And uh, <laughs> it, it's no, but she really has, she, she got into food more than I did. And to the point that like two weeks ago, we just wandered through Thomas Keller, um, his gardens at French Laundry. He's America's greatest chef. So a lot of those um, 
things that were in the book are, are food is food that I've actually had, or I kind of invented the Seinfeld's restaurant. I kind of made up a few things. Um, but I, I really do love food and I put food in a lot of my novels. Now, the problem with the Wasteland Saga is food was scarce. So I, right. I, I, I couldn't write about it at all, really. <laughs> so that's one of those novels that I, I couldn't have any food. But most of my writing at some point gets into food. Well, I would let you translate uh, Pennsylvania into food. And uh, <laughs> I, it would have been interesting to have the old man stumble into a dilapidated uh, uh, trailer park and, <laughs> and find yeah. a gourmet meal. Yeah, I, no, it was snake meat and snake meat and snake meat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that was kind of fun. It was, it was, I love, I did, I really, my biggest weakness in life, um, people who eat with me can tell you is that if there's a club sandwich on the menu, I'll eat it. Cause I, I really love club sandwiches. So I loved writing about the club sandwich that's on the trade jet and uh, the deal that he's doing. That was really fun. And I love oh, French yeah. fries because I'm half Irish, half Cherokee Indian. So I, I love, <laughs> I love French fries. We noticed that there were French fries with every meal in the book. Oh yeah. French fries, French fries go with everything. In <laughs> fact, agree. if you, if you, in fact, if you go to Peru, uh, Peru's like got the weirdest food in the world and that it's not Mexican food. And there's even a huge Japanese population there. And literally, they will serve you noodles and carne asada with French fries. Oh man, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. It's called <laughs> lomo lomo carne asada, lomo car, carne saltada or something like that. It's oh, crazy. Wow. My stomach's growling. But my wife reads all the food. She reads food biographies, um, things like that. So that's kind of uh, and, it, and it's a, like a hobby for us. Like we'll. We try to whenever we go places, we you know either try to do the Guy Fieri thing or we'll look up some kind of cool inside thing. I would say this: usually nine times out of ten, the Guy Fieri thing's kind of a miss instead of a hit, but occasionally you get some good ones. But we'll also because of because L.A. is the diversity capi- capital of the world, it's the only place that you can get a uh, a Korean street taco that's halal. <laughs> right. Well, uh, folks, let's let's take it from here. Uh, I'm Timothy C. Ward. Uh, my book is Scavenger, or I guess it's not a book. It's a, it's a novelette. Uh, is Scavenger, Michael Bunker. You can find it at michaelbunker.com. Go check out Pennsylvania Omnibus, uh, Wick, The Last Pilgrim. He's got all kinds of great stuff. And uh, definitely go check out Nick's books at nickcolebooks.com. He's got The Wasteland Saga and now Soda Pop Soldier. It's been great to talk to you guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you, Tim. You. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. To find out more about our show, our team, our reviews and articles, and so much more, head to adventuresinsci-fipublishing.com. If you're an author, go tap those keys. And if you're a reader, I guess that means you should go read. Till next time, folks, keep it sci-fi. Sci-fi.